Good morning, everybody. Good to see what I tell you. Significantly more people here now. You made it through the traffic. Good to have you here. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, again, I'm Len. I'm one of the pastors. Our lead pastor, uh, Paul, is still on vacation, so I get the privilege of sharing with you today, and I'm glad to do so. Uh, we have been in a series that we're calling Unshakable, and we're looking at standing strong when life seems to throw everything it can at us. And of course it does, and I could get upset at how unfair life seems at times, or I could develop and learn principles and get tools to respond well and live strong and unshakable in the middle of those things. And God gives us these tools all throughout the Bible, but specifically for this series, we've been looking at the book in the Bible called Daniel. Uh, And imagine this, it is based solely or mainly on a character named Daniel, of all things. Uh, But this week we're going to be looking at a couple of his friends, or a few of his friends, uh, who in the face of real difficult circumstances chose to take a stand, and we want to look at that today. And along the way, we're going to pull out some life principles that we can uh, invest into our lives and to help us make better choices when we're facing difficult situations as well. So let's just jump in. We're going to do a bit of reading this morning, and let's jump right in in Daniel chapter 3. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. Then a herald shouted, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship the king Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king! You issued a decree requiring all of the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you have refused to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then, what god will be able to rescue you from my power? Now talk about... A difficult situation, huh? There's something serious going on here, some choices that that need to be made. And the next choice that these guys make is going to make all the difference, isn't it? So let's see what their, their response is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. 
If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we will serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Pretty incredible, isn't it? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And as we go through this story, this narrative, we're going to use uh, a technique that we learned during the 40 Days in the Word called Picture It, where we look at the characters in a story through their eyes, if you will, try to get into their shoes, see some of their motivation, how they're seeing and perceiving the experience at the moment. And I would encourage you to use that in your personal Bible study time, but certainly it's going to help us this morning. So as we look at these different characters in the story, we're going we're gonna to also try to look at where we see a bit of us in each of them as well. So let's just start right now with the first character, the main character, the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And this guy, he's just a piece of work, isn't he? I mean, he clearly has let power get to him, and he is just clueless. And, and admittedly, he is the king, and everybody is bowing before him and kind of saying, oh, you're all that, king. Uh, and so he's kind of begun to believe his own hype, isn't he? And, and taken this power to an extreme. And if you were here last week, you recall that, we, we, that he had this dream that had really scared him. And he, he had uh, the astrologers and other people try to interpret the dream, and they couldn't. But Daniel comes in and not only interprets the dream through God's power, but also tells him what the dream even was, without knowing what the dream was in advance. And King Nebuchadnezzar was really grateful about that. He had realized through Daniel that God is the God who can reveal mysteries and was all-powerful. And so he was very grateful. And his response was such as, he said this, the king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. And this is pretty amazing because he recognizes that God is powerful, that God has, through the course of this dream, helped him to understand where he fits in the scheme of all of history and how God has arranged things, and he declares that God is the Lord over kings. And then what does he do? Now, I, I don't know if between chapter 2 and chapter 3 what kind of time span happened, you feel as you read it that it was just the next day or something, right? It, it could have been a long time. But clearly, at one breath, he's declaring that God is the Lord over kings. And in the next chapter, what does he do? He builds a statue to himself and tells everybody that they have to bow down and worship it. And, and you think as you read it, going from one chapter to the next, as you're reading it, he just doesn't get it, does he? He is clueless. He is really, what happened? And you want to say to him, you just want to yell at him in the pages, say, it's not about you. It's not about him. But I see a lot of Nebuchadnezzar in each one of us, certainly in me. Because some of these ways that he's behaving are kind of universal to all of us. And so we want to dig out that a little bit today and look through that. Because, see, we live in a world currently that is crazed by this culture of fame, don't we? People are making millions of dollars for absolutely no other thing but being famous. They're not doing anything but being famous, and they're making a lot of money on it. There are even job descriptions or job titles now, such as Instagram model, 
Who knew you could make money on that, right? And they're doing it. They're not even models for clothing lines or designers or store chains. They're just Instagram models. And they're making a lot of money. There are people who their job title is YouTube celebrity. That's all they do. They're YouTube celebrities. We live in a culture of fame where people are drawing attention to themselves. And we hunger as humans to be observed, to be seen, to be known, to be adored, to be liked. And so our personal kingdoms may be smaller than Nebuchadnezzar's, certainly, and YouTube celebrities, but we still have built our little kingdoms where we try to control that. What is that image? To be liked, to be known, to be adored in various ways. And we're tempted every day of our lives to build this image of ourselves, not unlike the gold statue that Nebuchadnezzar put up, to build this image and put it out there on the the experiences, the planes of our lives, that people could see us, to create this false impression of ourselves so that everybody around, because we want to be loved, we want to be liked, we want to be known, we want to be well thought of. And so we face and struggle with this temptation as well. Maybe a lot smaller scale, but a temptation nonetheless. And with this fame and wealth or power or titles, we tend to get a bit entitled, don't we? We, we begin to feel like we deserve honor or attention or the perks that come with that job or that title. And somehow people should just notice us and assume that we deserve that. That's what we do as people. We have a bit of Nebuchadnezzar in each one of us. And we need to work through that. And even though many of us have given our time over to God, our lives over to God, we still wrestle with this throughout the course of our lives. And even though we're here right now, we're giving this time to God, saying, God, it's all about you this morning, this afternoon it might be a little bit about you. You might do that, right? Because we do that. And the goal of our lives as followers of Christ is to do that less and less, to make more of our lives more about God. But let's not be ignorant of the reality that we all struggle with that same battle, to make it about us. And so it takes a long time to work that out in our lives. It is a journey. And We're going to crash, and and Nebuchadnezzar crashed many, many more times as the story of Daniel goes on, and and, and I'd encourage you to read ahead or be here in the coming weeks as we look to more of those situations that happen. But we also crash over and over in our lives, and we need to remind ourselves, and the principle that we want to draw from this this morning is that when life is about me, people get hurt. When I make life about me, Others get hurt because that's totally opposite what Christ has called us to live. He has called us to serve other people, to defer to other people, to think of other people as better than ourselves, to serve God as we serve other people. That's the life he calls us to live. And so more and more we need to flip from me-centric to God and other-centric in the way we live our lives, to allow God to flow through us to lift and build other people up. And then he takes care of us. That's his plan for our lives. Let's look at the next character, and that actually is uh, the three guys. 
We're going to treat them as one, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these guys were some of Daniel's friends, the ones who we called to pray with him during that dream event that we talked about last week. And, and in the course of that dream event, uh, Daniel received the, the pleasure of the king and asked for these guys to get a, a job promotion. They ended up being raised into government roles and jobs throughout uh, because of Daniel's encouragement uh, to the king. And as we look at their role in this story, one thing that jumps out that I think virtually all of us can identify with pretty simply is at, at the high level is that often our career goals and our values, they collide, right? This idea that, that uh, how I believe in my heart and how I live out in my world sometimes uh, don't always match up, and it's a difficult struggle. And I've talked with so many of you over the years who face this all the time in the business world. When you are, are in this sort of marketplace job, to reconcile your faith and principles of humility and serving others in a culture of ladder climbing and looking out for number one is really very difficult process to manage for a lot of people. And it is a daily struggle for so many of you. And, and, uh, and so we know that these guys, they stood and they didn't bow. Um, but I wonder what they were possibly thinking. What was going through their minds as they heard this decree and then the music started playing? Did they, did they maybe wrestle with that temptation that said it would be easy to bow on the outside but not on the inside. We kind of face that temptation ourselves, don't we? As we look at the situations in our life. When we're at work and somebody, you know, says, you need to do this and look out for you, and, and you're like, you know, I'm just not going to make waves. I'm not going to announce that I go to church, that I follow Christ. I'm just going to try to fly under the radar. And we do that in our circumstances all the time, these little little compromises that we take through the course of our lives. Now, I like this show called Amazing Race, and it's been fascinating because I've asked at all the other two services, does anybody else enjoy it? And hands didn't go up so quickly. And I'm like, it's a great show. So anybody here like Amazing Race? Thank you. There you go. It's a fun show. And, and uh, it's competition. It's where two teams of two compete with other teams of two as they go on this race around the world, and it's part... Um, part travel guide, part uh, cultural education of how people live in other parts of the world. It's, it's part race, it's, and it's a whole lot of fun. And, and I just really enjoy it. But sometimes when they go to these different countries and they're faced with these challenges along the way where they have to do these competitions, and, and uh, they'll take them to these experiences where they will sometimes go into temples of other religions uh, around the world. And, and they're asked as part of the challenge to do something that's almost, if not entirely, a ritual of that religion. And as I've watched it, I've thought, I couldn't do that. I would love to go on this show, but if I ended up in a circumstance like that, I, I couldn't do that. Because that would be bowing, it felt like to me, to another god. And, and I just, I couldn't handle that. That wouldn't be right. But you know what? It's easy for me on my couch to say that. 
because I know some of the contestants are, are Christ followers as, as the show over the years has happened. And I wonder what they're thinking, you know, when they've got this challenge. It's just a game. It's not that big of a deal. It's not really, I'm not bowing on the inside. It's just a game for a prize. You know, I could win a million dollars, you know. And so who knows how they're justifying or working it out in their mind. And we're faced with situations like that all the time. This isn't real. It doesn't mean anything. It's just for the sake of my office politics. It's not really who I am. How are we justifying standing strong versus bowing down? And we go through these circumstances all the times in our lives. And it's these little compromises that shape us. It's these little choices that make us who we are. The king is going to give them another chance, but their response is, don't bother. It's not going to happen. And listen to what what they say. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. What a huge statement, isn't it? What an incredible statement of faith. They are declaring God is able to rescue us. But even if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. And that's the key point. We all can say God is able, but are we comfortable with, but if he doesn't, I'm okay. And that's what they're declaring here. We won't compromise. I know God can, but I'm okay if he doesn't. Oh, that we would all be at that point in our lives. That is the sweet spot of our relationship with God that he calls us to. And it is a daily struggle for us to get there, but that is what God is calling us to. More often than not, Letting God lead our lives and we stand strong in the way he leads us in the face of opposition that we would not compromise so easily in our lives. We all wrestle with it. So let's be honest about the fact that we wrestle with it and let's seek to do it less and less. That's what God is calling us to. And then look at this first part of the verse. It says, we do not need to defend ourselves. And, and I love that, that phrase. That's just an incredible incredible phrase, because I find that really difficult personally. When somebody points their finger at me, I'm going to say, oh yeah? You and who else? You know? And they want to, you, we want to get defensive sometimes, but we don't need to defend ourselves. First of all, the moment we defend ourselves, we are giving them credit that the assumption that they have that they're on the moral high ground, that they're right. They're not right. They've set the wrong conditions in place. It's not whether or not we obey them. It's whether or not we obey God. And that's what matters. We shouldn't give them the authority in our lives to tell us what choice we should make between serving God or yielding to them. We don't need to defend ourselves when we've chosen God's ways. We also don't need to defend God. He is the one who defends us. So let's fight that temptation to put ourselves ahead of God and thinking somehow I'm protecting his image. He doesn't need me to protect him. He doesn't need me to defend him. I need to step back and let him defend me. 
and you do as well. Again, a challenge to live that out successfully day after day. But that's where God is calling us to. And he is in us and working through us to help us be more and more successful in it as we yield ourselves to him and choose not to take those little compromises. Well, let's go ahead and continue to the next part of our story. It goes on saying, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He didn't like, he wasn't accustomed to being told no to, right? And he got furious. And so he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up with amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out! Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Now this passage has generated a a lot of debate over the years among theologians. Who was actually with them? Was it an angel? Was it a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself? Whatever or whomever, one thing we can know is that it was a representation that God was with them. God met them in the fire. And did they know that God would show up? I don't think so. They had no clue. They just did what they knew they needed to do, to stand strong no matter what the consequence. And this is one thing that I know that we can draw out of this morning, and that is that it's in the furnace that we meet God. It's in the furnace that we meet God. And that happens. Through the testing and trials, God reveals himself to us. Because, see, if we don't have times in our lives where God shows himself as, as um, being trustworthy, where we don't see him as being trustworthy, we never learn to trust, right? I don't know about you. I, I, I think you probably do the same thing. I, I know I do, and it's my experience that you do, as, as I've known people over the years. But when things are going easy and carefree and nothing's going on, we kind of tend to lessen up the, you know, the gas pedal of pressing in towards God. We sort of get tempted to just kind of, yeah, you know, we forget that he's part of our lives. We check in occasionally, but, you know, it's not as pressing. But I tell you, the moment we have a crisis, the moment a trial comes, we find ourselves praying, calling people to pray, and we're right there, and we're seeking God. And we say, God, rescue me. And I think that, that, that it's in those times that we realize that God is trustworthy. And I think that it's in those times, in fact, the fact that those times happen, he allows them to happen in our lives so that we see him as trustworthy and we can go through them recognizing that we will be okay. Do I like trials? Of course not. I don't wake up each morning and say, God, give me a trial so I can see you. I would just as soon see him in the easy days, wouldn't you? 
Of course, we all would. But more often than not, we see God in the fire. We see what he does for us and through us in the fire. And so, I, while I don't like the trials, I like realizing that when I come to the end of myself, I see that there is no end to God. And he is forever faithful in our lives. And so sometimes God saves us from the trials. Sometimes we never have to go through them. That happens. But most times God saves us in the trials. We go through them because we then see the power of God in action. And oftentimes God saves us through the trials. And what I mean by that is that they reveal other issues that perhaps we were unaware that God wants to bring us through. So, you know, example, we have this cough that seems to be lingering and we go to the doctor and we get news that it's something worse. We thought we were dealing with one trial and instead another trial is revealed that God wants to take us through. Or we have a relational situation where a series of conflicts happen and we think that the issue is the conflicts, but they're not. It may come out that we have other emotional issues that we need to address, that we become aware about. And God wants to take us from one trial, use that as a trigger to open up another thing that he wants to work through us and in our lives. The key is is that we don't avoid the fire, that we don't try to fight the fire, but instead we look for God in the fire because he is there to, to be with us and to help us. And so let's go ahead and look at our next person in this story. And actually, it's not just a person. It's a, it's a whole group of people. It's everybody else. Everybody else. What did everybody else do when the music played? They bowed down. And what happened to them? Nothing. They just went on. Their life just happened. It was no big deal. There were no guards throwing them into fires. And so the temptation is, is why should I make waves? Why get the king mad? Just go with the flow. Why cause some waves in the office politics? Why get the boss upset at me? Keep below the radar. Don't we do that? We just go with the flow. We avoid conflict. So often we are spending so much of our energy avoiding conflict, avoiding taking stands, avoiding being noticed. Just stay under the radar. And we spend so much of our lives doing that. But the reality is, is that while that may make for polite society, while that may make for, you know, nice, easy going at the office or, or in the family gathering, you know, at the holidays or something like that, when everybody stays in line and goes with the flow, that may be nice, but it also leads to apathy, mediocrity, and perhaps even destructive choices of sin in our lives because we think we can handle it and we're okay. The reality is, folks, is that people get angry when we take stands with Christian values. You just tell somebody that you go to church, that you're a Christ follower, and some people just get mad. And you're like, why? What's it have to do with you? Let me do my thing, right? Don't we live in a society where you do your thing and it's okay and I do my thing and it's okay? But you tell some people you love Jesus and they just get furious. Why give them the right to have control in your life? 
That's their issue, not yours. Don't give them the power in your life to even care what their reaction is. You faithfully care about what God's reaction is as you live out your faith in the world around you. Who cares about going with the flow and keeping the peace if it means standing up for Christ or not? Follow Jesus. Live like Jesus. We at Mariners, we have this value where we want to connect people to God and we hope that you embrace that same value. That you would be actively engaged in your life connecting people to God. And that means that at times you're going to have conversations with people that may rub them the wrong way as you share faith and say there's a different way. Dare I say even better way to live your life than the choices you're making. And sometimes people will say, oh, thank you, and choose to follow him. And other times they will get upset. I suggest and I invite you to be okay with them getting upset rather than just withhold truth and God from them. Live out your values of sharing your God with other people. The last person. The last person is the one in the fire. And again, we don't really know who it was. It could have been an angel or what theologians call a theophany, a a visual appearance of God or the pre-incarnate Jesus. But one thing we do know, and this is our takeaway for this morning, is that God wants to meet us. And he wants others to meet him as well. And that's what we're going to see in this part of the story. God meets us in the fire. And when he does, he does something pretty incredible. Uh, Let's go ahead and look again at this verse. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. You see, when God appeared, the ropes that bound them came off. And the fire had no effect, no harm, not even a hint of smoke, the Bible says, was left on them. The only effect that the fire had was that the ropes were burned off. The binds on them were released. And so the question I have for you and for all of us this morning is, what are you caught up in today? What choices or decisions have you made that keep you bound up? What values of our culture have you all entangled? Keeping up with the Joneses? Trying to prop up a particular image or impression of yourself to the world around you? Embracing a popular belief system that maybe flies in the face of what the Bible tells us? See, trials might just be the best thing in our lives. Why? Because God is there and he removes the entanglements. He burns away the things that bind us. But beyond that, when he does set us free, it allows others to see him. And just as I shared last week, if you weren't here, you're going to get this point again. Your trials may not have anything to do with you. They may be so that God can be introduced to somebody else. It's not about us. It never is about us. It's always about God. Our story is his story. And if God had not chosen to do this the way he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then the king and all those in present 
at present at the moment would not have seen God rescue them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have gone in the furnace and been dead. But instead, God revealed himself and rescued them. Was it just for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? No. It was for Nebuchadnezzar, all those presents, and frankly, because the story has been recorded for bazillions of generations since. God is speaking to all of us through what he did in their lives. It wasn't just about them. And so when we look at the situations in our life, we could look for lessons, and certainly there are lessons, and we could look for God active in our lives, and there certainly are situations where that happens. But realize also that God may be revealed to somebody else through what you are experiencing, which means, again, share your story. Don't try to hide it. Let it, let it out. And that's true for you. It's true for me. It's no longer about you and me. It is about God. And Paul writes this in the New Testament. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What a great passage. And so the question that just comes up naturally from this is what makes people stand up when it's easier to bow? Because it is easier to bow, or, or at least it seems for a short while. What makes people go through those times in the flames and the fire and get through the other side? What allows that to happen? What makes us dismantle our statues or the the images or impressions that we set up for other people to see in our lives? It's all from the last part of that verse that says, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. It's all about that he loves us, gave himself for us, he bought us with a price, he he adores us, he loves you, he has set us free, and in fact, Paul writes elsewhere, it is for freedom that you have been set free. So use our freedom in a way that stands up against what other people are asking of us, if necessary, in order to make God big in our lives. That's what he calls us to more and more. We all struggle with it. That's part of the life that we live. We all struggle with it. Do we struggle with it less and less as we give more and more over to God? That's the challenge of our lives today. Cool story, huh? And it's a story that gets shared in Sunday school with children. And if you're old enough to remember flannel graphs, you know, see the, the fiery furnace. Now they have digital animations and stuff like that. But, but nonetheless, we have these stories. And we think it's just a kid's story sometimes. That how it, that's how it feels. We, we, we're introduced to it as a kid, and then we don't think about it later. But it's not a story. First of all, it's factual history, factual history. But secondly, it's about the nature and character of God. What he does through people who trust him through difficult situations and circumstances in their lives. And when we trust him, God shows up. And so as the worship team is getting ready to come up here as we, as we prepare to close this morning, I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at in your faith walk, your journey with God, whether you're uh, a pre-believer and you're ready to cross that line and say, God, I want you to lead my life, or you've been following him for years and years, but you still struggle with your faith and making God big and wrestling with your own image and your own kingdoms you set up, 
Wherever you're at in that, I just want to invite you and encourage you to stop building your own statues, to be so concerned about your image that you set up. In fact, forget about your image altogether and let Christ shine through you. Let, this is my prayer, my prayer for myself, my prayer for you, and I hope your prayer, that when they see you, when they see me, they see Jesus. Maybe with my little personality quirks added, but that they see Jesus. That's the goal, should be the goal of our lives. Not my image. I don't need my reputation to be propped up. And God doesn't need me to prop up his. He does that perfectly well in his own ability. So let's focus on letting him shine through us. Second, don't be afraid to stand when everybody else bows or gets angry when you don't. Again, don't give them that kind of authority in your life. They don't deserve it. Only God deserves that authority in your life. He's the only one that we should be concerned about when, about whether we bow or don't bow. Not what other people think. Their opinion really doesn't matter. I'm only accountable to God. And then last, look forward to meeting God in the fire. Don't look forward to the fire. No, we're not that dumb. Let's not look forward to fire. But when you do have fire, look forward to meeting God because he is going to meet you there when you look for him. And when he's there, he sets you free. So let's, let's pursue him in all that we do. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you do love us and you gave yourself up for us. You have set us free when we choose to follow you, free from sin, free from the opinions of others, free from all the emotional junk and buttons that we have to try to prop ourselves up. We are free from all of that if we would yield our lives over to you more and more each day. God, I pray that you would help us to make choices to let you shine through us and be less and less concerned about the opinions of others or the opinion of ourselves, frankly. God, help us to pursue you with all of our passion and ability and heart, I pray. God, I pray that if some here this morning are making that choice for the first time, that God, they would just yield their lives to you. Maybe they don't know what tomorrow holds or the next day, but today they say, God, lead my life, forgive me of my sin, and we'll work it out. And God, I just, just thank you for that, if anybody is making that choice. For the rest of us, those that have already made those choices to follow you, help us to be more and more consistent with how well we yield our lives over to you. To not get caught up in denial thinking we don't have that struggle. We all have that struggle. Help us, Lord, instead to seek each other's help to choose you more and more faithfully in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've made that choice today for the first time, congratulations. That's the best choice you can make. Don't keep it to yourself. Share it in your next step card with a life group if you're already in a group with me or somebody uh, this morning before you leave so that we could help you make the best next steps to growing in your faith. For those of you that are already Christ followers and you've made that decision but you're realizing, oh, I, I, I became aware of some of my struggles this morning. And I just encourage you to pray, uh, to surround yourself with your life group, to, to pray with you, to hold each other accountable, to grow together. That's what life groups can do, uh, that they could call you and check in with you. How you doing on, on letting God be God today? You know, what a great question to be asked. 
uh, and to ask of others in your group. So seek that out. But right now, let's just go ahead and take a stand, stand up, take a stand and stand up as we end with this one final song, and uh, let's just rejoice and celebrate. Thank you for being here today.